Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. Season 4, Episode 1, the one about the history of religion. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is Season 4 of the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. But before I do that, I have to say a massive thank you to you amazing listeners because over the summer I got to 10,000 downloads. 10,000! I am truly humbled. Me, a 44-year-old teacher from Brighton. But it goes to show what you can achieve if you are 10% braver and willing to take a risk. And on this prestigious occasion, I have to thank Brad Glenn, without who this podcast could never have happened. He produces each programme, lent me his recording booth before I had my own, designed my website and encouraged me to step outside my comfort zone and go on to social media, a decision which has been life-changing. The Twitter community is amazing, so thank you to all of you too. Talking of Twitter, the people of Twitter have just asked me to write a series of podcasts on the history of religion, so I've done my best. Just so you are aware, I will be using BCE and CE in this episode rather than BC and AD. BC and AD mean before Christ and, and Anno Domini, which is in the year of our Lord. As a lot of our listeners are not Christian, I don't want to use a dating system based on the event of Jesus. So I'm going to use BCE, which means before the common era, and CE, which means the common era. The common era being the one we are currently in. So from the year zero to now. Before the common era is everything before the year zero. As I said in a previous episode on life after death, the earliest evidence we have of religion is the Stone Age times, where humans started burying their dead using a variety of rituals. A ritual is an action which is repeated and has a significance greater than itself. For example, when we hug people we love, there's nothing significant about the action in itself, it's literally tying your hands around someone, but it represents your love for somebody. When you get married you wear a ring, there's nothing magic about the ring, the ring does not mean you are married, it is a symbol of something greater than itself. So let's unpack this Stone Age burial in more detail. Up until this point in human history, if someone died, then we ate the body or left the body out for animals to eat. There was no significance in a dead body, no reason to respect it, no reason to remember it, no reason to preserve the body. Whatever had made it significant was not there. Life. We experience death regularly as part of the natural cycle of life on a par with dead flowers or animals. But as we evolved as a species, we started burying our dead. This is all prehistoric, so we have nothing written down about it, so we have to surmise a meaning from archaeological evidence. Archaeologists first discovered these 78,000-year-old graves in Africa. They can date them using levels of luminescence, the amount of sunlight the soil has received. But they think this practice could be up to 120,000 years old. But what is significant is that in the Neolithic era, Neo means new and Lithic means Stone Age, so Neolithic means new Stone Age. In this Neolithic era, two significant things happened. One, we stopped being hunter-gatherers, which meant we stopped a nomadic lifestyle where we moved from place to place to get our food and started basic agriculture which meant we could stay in one place and grow all our own food and not have to keep moving around. It marked an evolution in our intelligence, although brought with it huge problems to related to health. Our diet was less varied and we had to work really hard to produce food 
as well as problems associated with ownership of land. The second change was that we started burying our dead in a way that suggested we had started believing in a life after death. I can't help thinking that these two changes were both linked to an evolving brain. As farmers, we started to develop an interest in planning for the future, which we hadn't needed when we were nomadic, but became necessary when we started farming. It made sense to consider the future of humans which are alive and needed feeding. But why do we start considering the future of dead bodies? Well, I have a theory. Dreams. As our brains developed, our dreams could have become more complex. Maybe we started dreaming about people that had died and in our dreams they were alive, so came to a primitive conclusion that they must be alive in a different world to our one, and hence, a belief in the afterlife was born. But let's analyse what these ancient burial sites reveal about the thinking of these early humans. The first thing to note is that bodies were often placed in a fetal position in the womb. The fetal position is the position of the fetus, or unborn baby, as it is in the womb. Now, they would have known about this position from maybe having to remove a fetus from a womb if a mother had died during pregnancy or labour, or from animals. But it suggests they believe the body was reborn and the tomb acted as some sort of womb. The other thing is that the bodies often had a red powder called ochre sprinkled over them. This is believed to have represented blood, which they would have seen as the life force, the thing that gives life to things. It would therefore help the body to be reborn. It would give it the energy to reanimate. However, it could just as likely have been to mark the grave, decorate the body, or have been part of the dye on the clothing. No pun intended. One other thing is that bodies were often buried with objects, so maybe food or weapons or jewellery. They wouldn't have really known what was awaiting them in the afterlife, so I guess they just wanted the person to be prepared for any eventuality. Food so they're not hungry, jewellery maybe to offer as gifts, weapons in case they meet some less than salubrious types in the afterlife. As this belief developed and human life evolved and ownership and authority came into our experience, this was reflected in the afterlife, that there is some authority in the afterlife who needs to be appeased. And ta-da, religion was born. Over time, as humans and human culture became more sophisticated, so did our religions. One of the most ancient of beliefs is that of animism. This is the belief that each living thing is inhabited by a spirit. This then impacts how you treat these living beings with thanks and respect. The two most well-known examples of this is the indigenous people of the Americas and the indigenous people of Oceania. The Native Americans refer to over 50 tribes of people who have lived in the Americas for over 15,000 years. What has been done to them by those who later colonised this land is nothing short of ethnic cleansing. But that's a whole other podcast. What we're interested in here is just how the religion developed. With so many different Native American tribes, there came a variety of individual belief systems, but there are some common themes, that of animism in some form or another. But a significant belief of this time was the idea of a great spirit in the sky. This is an all-powerful, creative, genderless being which created everything. 
all spirits must be appeased by rituals, whether this is sacrifice, dancing or storytelling. There is a strong oral tradition in the Native American tribes. Interestingly, over the other side of the world, at around the same time, another group of indigenous people developed similar beliefs. The Aboriginal people. They believed in a powerful creative spirit that is represented as a rainbow serpent. They could have developed this idea from observing a rainbow or the Milky Way. They also developed a belief called dream time, which is the beginning of everything or the place before time, and is most likely to be the precursor to the idea of heaven that dominates religions today. About 10,000 years later, similar belief systems developed among the Maori people of Polynesia and then New Zealand. They too differentiated between the physical world and the spiritual world. They believed everything is interconnected and everything has its own spirit or life force. If you negatively affect anything's life force, which they call tapu, it can have negative consequences like poor health or even death. I find it interesting that modern medicine is seeing a link between poor mental or emotional health and your physical health. That often physical illnesses have their roots in trauma or unexpressed emotion. What else is interesting about the Maori is their burial rituals. They are very similar to the ones now practiced in Christian churches around the world. Coffins, dressed in black, talking about the deceased person, and then celebrating their life with a social gathering afterwards. Around the same time, and we're looking at about 3500 BCE now, another distinct culture was growing in Mesopotamia. This was situated in the area of the world we now know as Iraq, Iran and Syria. It was an area of land in between the River Tigris and the River Euphrates, known as the Fertile Crescent. Interestingly, in the Bible, this is where Eden was situated. The Mesopotamians believed the world was a flat disc surrounded by space, with heaven above and water everywhere else. The world was created from this enormous sea. The creation story in Genesis was very much influenced by this idea of the world emerging from water. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Mesopotamians were polytheistic, and if you remember, Genesis uses the plural when describing the creation story. Let us make mankind in our own image. The moon and sun were significant within Mesopotamia, so these would determine festivals. Many pagan religions today have developed from both animism as well as the worship of the sun and moon. If we think about, say, Stonehenge's relationship with the sun, for example. Maybe the best way to understand Mesopotamian beliefs is to look at their temples. They were a series of up to seven different coloured square floors getting smaller and smaller as they go higher. The more powerful you were, the higher up you could go. It shows how the idea of hierarchy had become entrenched within cultures. Only priests could enter the top tier. These temples were called ziggurats, which means raised area. They were home to the god or goddesses of the city and were the centre of the community and the bigger they were, the more dedicated you were to your god. A series of chambers and rooms within the ziggurat were used for priests to care for the god or goddess. 
Special priests prepared sacred meals for the god. Each ziggurat contained an altar to the god and a statue of the deity as well. Mesopotamians believed that if the people cared sufficiently for the god, and if the sacred meals pleased them, the god would actually inhabit the temple or shrine prepared for them. These temples were also used for the local economy and businesses, suggesting that Mesopotamians could have believed that pleasing the gods would have its financial reward. About 500 years later, just west, another culture developed, very much influenced by Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt. The ancient Egyptians were also polytheistic. They believed in many gods and goddesses that controlled and were part of the world. Their beliefs in gods was quite fluid. Different gods became important at different times and new ones emerged as time went on. You may be aware of Ra, the sun god. The pharaoh was the ruler and was believed to have divine powers. You will notice that Ra forms part of the word pharaoh. Really helps with the spelling because it's a tricky one. They had lots of rituals to appease the gods, particularly in how they treated their dead to ensure they had a good afterlife. Preserving bodies was extremely important and so they would pull organs out of the body and preserve them in jars and then mummify the bodies. Pharaohs were put in pyramids to help preserve the body even more. And just to give a time frame of reference here, remember that the slaves that built these pyramids were made up of the Hebrews, the ancient Jewish people before their freedom through Moses. See my Ten Commandments episode. The Egyptians had elaborate beliefs about death and the afterlife. Human beings had two things, the ka, or life force, and the ba, which was your unique character. You need food and water to give power to your ka, your life force. At death, your ka would leave you, but would still need food and water to sustain it in the afterlife, so that's why they would make offerings. The ba, the unique character, did not leave the body at death, so the Egyptians had to perform rituals to release the ba so it can be reunited with the ka. So if they believed this, why did they preserve the body? They believed that the Ba returned to the body each night to get energy. A significant religious belief that emerged in ancient Egypt is the idea of a judgment day. Osiris was the god of the underworld and would weigh a feather against a heart. If the heart weighed less than the feather, then it stayed in a lush paradise with Osiris. Otherwise, it would wander aimlessly. It is interesting that even today we use phrases such as a heavy heart when things go wrong and still refer to the heart as the source of emotions when actually emotions register in the frontal cortex of the brain. What is most significant about the development of belief during this period is the idea of a cyclical understanding of the nature of time and the universe. Most of the main world religions can be separated into two groups, either a linear or a cyclical idea of time. Islam, Judaism and Christianity see the world as coming from nothing and continuing until the end in a line. Buddhism, Sikhi and Sanatan Dharma see it as following a cycle of birth, death and rebirth. If you put yourself into the mind of the Egyptians, you could maybe see how a cyclical idea of time originated. The sun rose and set and rose again in a cycle. The seasons happened cyclically. Events were not one-off, they happened on a regular cycle. 
The most significant of these for the Egyptians was the flooding of the River Nile. When it flooded, it would leave sort of a fertile silt on the land, which would fertilise the land in order for them to grow food. Therefore, they had to be organised, work with nature and appease the gods so that everything worked together. Ancient Egyptians therefore focused very much on order. Everything had to work in harmony with nature and each other to keep the universe out of chaos. I think we have a lot to learn from this ancient religion. I mentioned Stonehenge earlier, so it seems appropriate to add that Stonehenge was built in England around 2500 to 3000 BCE, so kind of after Mesopotamia, but before ancient Egypt. Now, there is much speculation about the meaning of Stonehenge. It is thought to have been an ancient farming calendar as it is built in a horseshoe and the gaps between each stone lines up with the movement of the sun throughout the day. There is also many dead bodies buried there, so it is thought to maybe have been a burial ground. But it is in keeping with beliefs emerging throughout the world at this time regarding the sun and regarding death. It is thought to have been built by the Druids, but there's no conclusive evidence for this. The Druids, incidentally, were hugely into ritual and sacrifice, a practice which has been prevalent throughout Jewish and Christian history. Anyway, how they got the blue stones from Wales to Salisbury, we may never know. It's not far, is it? I don't even know where we live anymore. Anyway, about 700 years later, we're now at about 2300 BCE, a group of beliefs emerged the other side of the Middle East, which we now refer to as Hinduism, but the regular listeners will know as Hindu Dharma or Sanatan Dharma. They also had this cyclical idea of existence, the samsara. They believed in one ultimate being, Brahma, and various incarnations of this ultimate being. They valued worship, ritual, believed your actions had consequences. This is the earliest of the main religions that exist today. A brief timeline of what happened next then. Judaism started around five to 600 years BCE and was the first known religion to follow a more linear idea of existence, i.e. the world started and will end, people are born and then they die. It was also the first time complex laws came into play. See my episode on the Ten Commandments for more about that. The Romans started their civilization around 100 BCE. Christianity started properly in around 400 CE. Buddhism just over 150 years later in 563 CE. Islam a very similar time to that. The Inca religion about 500 years after that in around 1200 CE. The Maori around 100 years after that. And lastly, Sikhi, around 200 years later, and that brings us up to about 1500 CE. So there it is, a very brief but hopefully helpful introduction to the development of religion through time. I'm going to get some guest speakers on to unpack some of these religions in more detail, so have a look out for future episodes on that. As usual, I would love to hear from you if you have any comments on this episode or ideas for future ones. So tweet me at the RE Podcast One. I'm on Instagram at the RE Podcast. Get in touch via the website www.therepodcast.co.uk or email me, Louisa Jane Smith at the RePodcast.co.uk. And you know, if you're not doing anything and fancy rating me or leaving a little uh, comment on wherever you listen to your podcast, then uh, feel free. Also, hear me every morning on the breakfast show on Teacher Hug Radio doing a daily thinky bit. 
My name is Louisa Jane Smith, and this has been the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is. I just proved it to you. But thank you so much for letting me bore the life out of you.